Diakonasa Cops Calling is sponsored by Luciano's Woodworking. Luciano's Woodworking is owned and operated by Carlos Luciano Jr., and he works with each of his customers to create hand-carved wooden plaques, signs, wall hangings, and more. Currently, he is working on a wall hanging for Diakonasa Cops Calling, and I am super excited to see it once it's completed. He's worked with me to meet the style, the colors, the print, and the frame I want for this project. You can see his talented work. Just check out Luciano's Woodworking on Facebook and Instagram. Whether you want a welcome sign for your home, a plaque to display challenge coins, a hand-carved piece of your favorite sports team, a personalized stovetop cover, retirement plaques for those in the military or in law enforcement, wall art for rooms in your house, or any other similar project, he can do it. Carlos is a full-time police officer, a husband, and a father, but he enjoys kicking up the dust with this side hobby. He's a busy guy, but you will not be disappointed as you patiently wait for him to complete your project. So check out Luciano's Woodworking right now on Facebook and Instagram. See his work, share his work, share him on social media, and then let him know what project you'd like him to start for you. This podcast is for grown-ups only. Some of the content may not be appropriate for little ears like mine. He told us from the very beginning, if you're in a knife fight, expect to get stabbed. If you're in a gunfight, expect to be shot. Finger on the trigger, and I was getting ready to just walk rounds right into him because he still was holding the gun. Welcome to Diakonasa Cops Calling. And on this episode, I almost messed it up already. (laughs) On this episode, Lauren's taking over. She's actually running the show. She's the host and I'm the guest. And when I came in with that opening, I almost said, I'm your host, Anthony Weaver. Uh, But yeah, so actually you should be doing this, Lauren. You should be doing the opening and then we wouldn't have this problem. Ah, I thought maybe we could do like a, you know how they have silent partners? Thought maybe I could be like the silent host. <laughs> you just sit there silently. <laughs> I just show you cue cards and you just run with it. Actually, that would be pretty helpful because one of the most <laughs> annoying things for me when I listen to these is how many filler words I have. Hmm. I probably shouldn't even say this because now people are going to be listening for the filler words uh, on the episodes going forward now. They'll probably go back and listen to them. Actually, do that. Go back and listen to every single episode again. <laughs> and make it, People make it a game. Yeah. <laughs> Because that'll boost my uh, download. Uh, That's true. Hey, download whatever numbers. gets you listens. Yeah. It's all good. Um, but this show is kind of a show of first, to be honest. Lauren is kind of, uh, I mean, probably when you listen to the episode, you'll be like, this is such a joke. Lauren is not hosting this. Anthony is. Uh, but she is going to be kind of hosting the show. And I'll be asking I, all the deep probing questions. Yeah, and I am the I am the the guest for this show, um, but this is also a show of firsts because at the very beginning of this episode, you heard our very first sponsor uh, at the top of the episode, Luciano's Woodworking. Uh, very excited to show off uh, the project he's working on for the podcast once it's completed, and uh, it's pretty exciting to open a show and have a sponsor. It's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm not even sure what a sponsor is, to be honest, but 
No, I'm just messing. I I do. It's it's cool. We're collaborating. He, I'm uh he's he's uh my sponsor and uh, uh he's working on a project for me and we're kind of collaborating and helping each other out a little bit uh to kick up dust after our own individual things that we're doing. It's awesome. His a uh, woodworking uh side hustle thing and me uh, this podcast. So it's a pretty cool thing. Um, so that's a first, and then very exciting news. That corresponds with me being the guest. Yeah. How weird is that? <laughs> um, is uh, our patron program. Uh, Diakonos of Cops Calling now has a patron program and it's up and it's live. So if you enjoy the podcast and you believe in its mission, consider teaming up uh, with me and with Lauren uh, to kick up, kick up the dust. And uh, you can do that by going to Diakonos ACC podbean.com and that'll put you on my uh, podbean uh, website and uh, then you can click the become a patron button at the top of the page and once you click that button you'll be able to see what the patron program is all about what my goals are why i'm doing it i have a video up there uh, for you to watch so there's three patron tiers each one gives you a chance to win exclusive gifts and to be a more integral part of the diakonos cops calling community um, I've really enjoyed the interaction with the followers on the podcast, um, and uh, I think it'd be cool, and I'm hoping that this patron program kind of grows and increases that community feel uh, to the podcast. Um, so yeah, check it out. Uh, consider becoming a patron if you are a follower of the podcast. Um, I would really appreciate it, and it would help us continue to get after um, the mission of Diakonasa Cops Calling. So Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? I'm just excited. She's just excited, folks. It's good. It's good stuff. All right. So this is the part where I take over. Yeah, go go for it. All right. And episode over. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Such a Debbie Downer. No, I am excited for this episode. I'm excited for you to be able to tell a little more of your story and just dive in a little a little deeper with some of the things. Um yeah, that maybe you've talked about a little bit, or I think it's good. It's going to be good. I'm not sure that I'm excited about it. Well, get ready. <laughs> Buckle up. First question coming in hot. What are the goals for this show, other than your interview? <laughs> well, first of all, I think the reason I'm not very comfortable doing an episode like this, well, let me back up. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. They do. Like people love to talk about themselves. And as a police officer, a retired police officer, I am distinctly aware of my ego and the chip I have on my shoulder because of some of the things I've been involved in and some of the things I've done. And so because I've always been distinctly aware of that, I've tried not to talk very often about my job when I'm around other people, because what happens is you start talking about it and it becomes the focus of the conversation. And everyone that's having conversations around you stops talking and pretty soon you feel like you have an audience because people are intrigued by it Uh, for whatever reason. I mean, just look at television. I mean, what, 75% of television shows are are cop shows. Um, So people are drawn to the profession. They find it interesting, that sort of thing. So I was always distinctly aware of that. I know, you know, my, my bent, uh, you know, and I just, so I always tried to like not feed 
yeah. my ego by talking about my job too much. So to talk about it on an episode here, um, it's like this this tension. Of course, I mm-hmm. like talking about my my job as a police officer and, and some of the things I was involved in, but it's also uncomfortable because... I don't know. It just seems a little braggadocious or self-promotion-y. I don't even know if that's the word. <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? Yeah, I I do, and and I I think you're right. I think you you generally did a did a good job not not making yourself the center of attention, but everybody, you know, when we're in social settings, everybody wants to hear your stories and like people. It is it is a it's an interesting job. It's a weird job, and people like to hear about it and. I think uh, I think it makes sense as the host of a show and someone who spent twenty years in law enforcement for you to to just talk a little deeper about about your story and yeah, I mean, I think in past episodes, like stuff has seeped out. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's been stories that have come out. Right, I've talked kind of you know roughly about some of the things, but um, but the nice thing about having a guest on is is the episodes are about the guest. Right, and I've really tried to do that um, because. Again, I, I'm trying to help people understand the calling. And when I have a guest on, I want them to be able to tell their story. It's their episode. Right. And, yep. and so I try to, try to do that um, for them and, and with them. So, I mean, that, that doesn't really answer your question. What are the goals for the show? That, that's the difficult side yeah. of it for me. I think the goals for the show is I, I want to be vulnerable. Uh, which is also uncomfortable because I I want to try to share things that I'm not very comfortable sharing. And my hope in that is that even if there's, you know, one um, person in law enforcement that it helps Hmm. or um, causes them to think differently about something, uh, that would be important to me. Uh, You know, I, I, I'm deeply bothered right now by what's happening in this country in regards to the narrative and um, just the demonizing of law enforcement. And so I'm hoping that my story and some of my experiences maybe will help people navigate through some of that, through some of that uh, stuff. And, and for those outside of law enforcement, help them understand, again, a little more deeply about who I am. Um, some of my experiences I had, why I am the way I am, why I come across the way I come across. Um, and uh, in all honesty, I try to be pretty nuanced on my episodes because I have very strong feelings about things, but I also right. don't want to, you know, be a jerk, you yeah. know, Yeah. because it's a lot easier for me to be a jerk probably than <laughs> be, uh, be nice. And, uh, and yeah, and, and then uh, also, you know, I, another reason I think we're doing it, not really a goal, but a reason, uh, you know, is when I was in counseling, my counselor, when, you know, she found out that I was doing a podcast, she, she encouraged me to kind of tell, tell my story. Yeah. So I'm listening to a doctor people. There you go. No, she, she, uh, she's excellent. I'm not going to say her name on this episode or anything like that. I don't, Know that she'd appreciate that, but but she was excellent. She knows Lauren and I very well. She Lauren has seen her about some stuff, so she kind of knows. She knows how jacked up we are. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> we're, true. We're, we're, it's true. It was helpful. It's helpful to have someone that, uh, yeah, 
has deep insights into all of our crazy. Yeah. Helpful to to know both of us, know both our stories and stuff like that. So, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. Did that answer your question? I think so. Host lady. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So I think anyone that, that knows you would say, without a doubt, you're a very driven, motivated person. Um, and that definitely was true for you in your career as a police officer. Um, but what, what, what drove that, that motivation? What, what drove you as a, as a police officer in your, in, in your career? Well, I'm very competitive. Uh, true. So uh, <laughs> I know exactly what you're thinking right now. You're thinking of uh, me playing we. Yes, folks, we still have a we. <laughs> we have like a 12-year-old we. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, the, I'm sure people remember we from I Nintendo, yeah. but I play we with the kids and I am ruthless. You are. You're it's it's yeah. Honestly, if the neighbors ever hear you playing we with the kids, they they might call like uh, someone. <laughs> yeah, I, I am very competitive, um, very competitive. Yeah, I think I think I started out my career very competitive. I I like to be the best. I want to be the best. Um, and I like to be recognized for being the best. I, I desire to be recognized for, for being the best, um, which turned into a bad thing in my career. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that in a little mm-hmm. bit. But I, I uh, you know, I desire to please like my bosses and the people above me and receive the accolades of my peers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm competitive. Mm-hmm. and I also am competitive because I like the affirmation of other people. Um, it's just kind of how I'm hardwired um, a little bit. And um, so the way I approached the job is I was a, I was super aggressive. I, I was an aggressive cop. I, um, you know, I wanted to work in the highest crime areas. I wanted to work in the most violent areas. I wanted to be involved in the craziest stuff I could get involved in. And I would pray those prayers. Like I would go into work and on my way into work, I would pray. And uh, these are actual prayers I would pray. I would ask God to help me um, arrest the worst guys, put me, I would actually ask God to put me in the worst situations uh, possible. And I meant those prayers. The problem was those prayers weren't prayed to bring glory to him. Mm. They were prayed to bring glory to me. Mm. Um, and uh, I really, but I wanted, and I also liked adrenaline. Yeah. And, and so I wanted to be in the worst situations I could possibly find myself in, find myself in because that tested me to know if I had what right. it took. Um, so mentally, I prepared for bad things to happen. Um, and that helped you for sure throughout your career. Yeah, it did. Um, it really helped me because I prepped for mainly what I prepped for at the beginning of my career. Because early on in my career, I would have people come up to me and ask me, hey, um, do you think you'll ever be in a shooting? Do you think you'll ever have to shoot someone? And very early in my career, my response to that was, uh, I'm not sure uh, time will tell, you know, those were kind of my responses. Right. 
And I realized if I, if that was my response, then I wasn't ready. And so I began, and I'm not talking about weird, like mystic mental preparation type stuff, but I had read some books on, you know, from some military people and um, some other trainings I had gone to early in my career. And I started realizing that in order to be effective and keep myself safe and keep other people safe, I needed to mentally be rehearsing Hmm. very bad situations in order to react to them in the proper way. And so um, I took that seriously. And I, um, I also had read a lot of books about officers who had been involved in things. And then uh, afterwards, the mental aspect of it afterwards and dealing with it was what kind of really caused them a lot of pain and suffering and harm and, and, you know, even debilitating at times. So I, I decided I wasn't, I was going to be prepared for, um, what, whatever came my way. So I, I, I mentally prepared for a lot of things. The problem with law enforcement is you can't mentally prepare for everything. Um, and so when it came to like officer involved shootings, um, I was pretty mentally prepared for those I felt. And, um, but there were other situations that happened throughout my career that I wasn't mentally prepared mm-hmm. for that, that kind of surprised me or, or whatever. Um, but it served, it did serve me well, like being mentally prepared for, you know, engaging with an armed suspect that obviously helped me later on in my career. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but, um, you know, that, that was kind of like, I was all in, I, I was like a hundred percent. I was, you know, law enforcement minded. Like I, I wanted to learn the job. And luckily early in my career, I had guys, uh, cause I had no idea what I was doing in training. Right. I mean, who would, it, it's such a unique job. Right. And so when I got out of training, I think you know, if I would go back and ask people that were on my shift, what did you think of, you know, of me, you know, when I was early on in my career on your shift, I think most of them, um, and some of them even told me we weren't sure you were going to make it. We weren't sure that you were going to like, you know, really cut out for the job or anything. But I had guys on that shift that were excellent. Um, guys like, and I'm going to give them a shout out. Um, guys like, uh, Chris Laser, who's now a lieutenant, guys like uh, Steve Owens, who's now a detective, guys like Mike Dean, who's now a sergeant, uh, guys like Tommy Hentz, who's on another department now, Jason Drollard was another one, um, guys that really were also younger on the job, but had a lot more experience than I did, and kind of took me under their wings and showed me how to be a proactive cop hmm. and do the job the right way. Um, and, and that's really where I learned how to do the job. So had it not been for those guys, I don't know that I would have done a good job, but the mental aspect of law enforcement is so important. And so, you know, if there's someone in law enforcement who's young on the job and listening, like if you can take anything from that, if, 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 if you're not mentally prepared for an officer involved shooting, you're not going to perform as well. I will, I will tell you that. Um, and you won't do as well afterwards. So you have to, you have to not think if this happens or not in any situation, any type of situation you can find it. And don't think if this happens, mm-hmm. think when, when this happens, I'm right. going to do this. Uh, when I'm uh, approached by this type of person, when 
uh, I'm confronted with this type of situation, I'm going to do this. And think through those scenarios and think through what you're going to do um, so that in the moment, you're not trying to figure it out in the right. chaos. And it makes sense because you train your body, like you go through physical training so that you can draw quickly and you know, like all of these physical things that you have to do on the job. It makes sense that you would need to mentally, you're, you're training your mind to some extent in those also, like how to react quickly and how to, what to do um, under high stress. So I, I feel like it makes sense that you would right. do the same thing for your mind. Right. And there's no and emotions. And there's no way to prepare for everything right. mentally. Um, but if you can at least put yourself through scenarios of very high stress, difficult situations and be able to map out in your head how you would react mm -hmm. and what you're going to do. And that you're okay with that. That you're okay yes. taking those actions to survive, to protect other people. Yes. That you, mm -hmm. you're you morally yep. um, okay with it. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and so that's what I did. And, and I would also say, like, if you ride two-man with someone, you and your partner need to be having those conversations, mm -hmm. too. Like, I had some partners where we did do that. I had some partners that we didn't do that. But where we talked about, don't, don't guess at what each other is going to do. Hmm. Talk about, okay, if we have a car stop and we have multiple people in the car and one person runs and uh, one or two stay at the car, Who's staying with the car? Who's running? Right. If you're by yourself, if you have someone jet from a car and you have other people in the car, I was always a big proponent. You don't you don't run after the runner. You stay with what you have. Right. You you keep the ground you have. You call out the runner um, because that runner might just be trying to pull you away from that car because there might be something in that car. And then you're leaving your cruiser with people that can just jump in and take it. Like there's all kinds of bad things that can happen. But you need to start thinking through those scenarios and decide you know, what I'm, what I'm going to do. Um, yeah. you know, I had always, you know, decided to, like, if I ever came upon an armed suspect while I was in my car, I was going to hit them with the cruiser. Like I, I thought through like these types of scenarios, though, those types of things, like if you're not thinking through them, um, it's going to be a lot harder to navigate through that high stress and that chaos in the moment. So, I don't yeah. really know how we got on that. We, we, you asked me what motivated me as a police mm -hmm. officer and what mm -hmm. kind of cop I was. But yeah, well, and I think it's also interesting. You, you talked about how um, you, you are very driven and you want to be the best. At, and coupled with that, you want others to recognize that in you, recognize your drive and recognize your ability. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and that you are a good cop. And I think it's interesting that when you got hired, the type of officer that you wanted to be was the type of officer that they wanted you to be. Whereas if you got hired right now, I think that would be a very different story. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Uh, you know, you're right. And when I got hired, they wanted proactive yep. guys that yep. were out on the street, um, really messing with the criminal element. Yeah, going um, after bad bad guys doing bad stuff. Right. And there was definitely a community policing aspect when I came on the job, but it was much more of like an organic thing. Like, you know, get out of your car, walk around, get to know your neighborhood, yeah. get to know your sector, get to know your right. store owners. Um, but like harass the living crap out of, out of bad guys. Yeah. The, the bad guys that are, you know, dealing on the corners that are right. causing problems. And now there, there's definitely in law enforcement, 
things have been wussified. Pretty much. If that's a, you know, you know, I, I think a lot of times people, they want cops that are, you know, smiling and shaking hands and going to all these events and everything like that. And that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the main, and I've said this before, the main point of law enforcement is right. law enforcement, enforcing right. the law. And, um, and that doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. Right. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, if I can say a hard ass, like it just, right. You, but you have to do, you have to be able to do your job. You can't just the, be like, yeah. In the face of adversity, there will always be those pushing against, you know, in, in no matter what community, no matter what, you know, scenario, there's always going to be those that, that wish to do evil, that wish to hurt other people. And, and you have to be able to, to stand up against that. Right. And that's the kind of cop I wanted to be. Right. I didn't, I, I wanted the people in the community that I worked in. Right. That were hardworking. Which was most of the community. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hardworking, law-abiding citizens. I wanted them to like me. Right. But I wanted the criminal element in those communities to hate me. Right. Because <laughs> then I much came true. <laughs> felt like I was doing my job correctly. Right. You know, if, if the right people liked me and the wrong people hated me, um, I mean, again, this harkens right back to Romans 13. Like if, if, you know, if you're doing the right thing, um, you know, those, those in authority are there to praise you. If you're doing the wrong thing, they're there to bring wrath down on you. Right. And that was kind of like my, yeah, how I wanted to operate yeah. uh, in my job. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so you, you talked a little bit about some incidents, um, you know, in as you were getting after it and kicking up the dust, as you like to say, <laughs> your little catchphrase that has caught on. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, so, so your drive drove you to get into some pretty crazy incidents. Um, what were some of them that you were a part of that had the greatest effect on you? Like if you had to pick out a top, you know, few incidents, would you just talk about some of those? I think so very, very early in my career. Uh, we had an officer on our shift, Officer Mark Garon, who uh, tragically um, committed suicide uh, back in 2018 uh, when I was on the job, um, and and he was a friend of mine, um, and that and that's one of those incidents too that that just kind of the cumulative effect. You know, when I was on the job, there were there were three guys on the department that committed suicide um, in my 20 year career, um, and. Uh, each one of those is is devastating, mm. but um, early in my career, probably I might even I think I was in training. I remember we did a felony vehicle stop on a uh, I think maybe it was a stolen car, and we had a canine officer there. And where we stopped the car, there was like a grass embankment uh, on the right side of the road. And Officer Garon was up on this grass embankment uh, with a shotgun because we carried, we still carried shotguns back there. Man, I loved my shotgun. <laughs> when I started my career, I loved the shotgun. And then we went to patrol rifle, and I, I always carried a patrol rifle. But the shotgun, man, that, that thing was awesome. Um, anyways, he was up on the, on the bank, um, you know, covering the car. We were doing like the whole call the people out of the car. Mm -hmm. We were pretty sure we had all the suspects out of the car. 
and um, the doors were open on the car, the, the front driver's door and the front passenger door. And our canine officer sent the dog and the dog was supposed to go in the car, make sure no one was laid down in the back seat or hiding um, in the car at all. Because from our position, we wouldn't have been able to tell if someone mm-hmm. was laying in the back seat. So canine officer sends a dog. Dog goes through the driver's door, out the passenger door, up the embankment, and attacks Officer Garon. And so I was in training. This like blew my mind. Like it, I, you know, you're dealing with animals, so mistakes can happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember, you know, him screaming and uh i remember that like really messed with him mm-hmm. like i remember having conversations with him uh later on and that that like really really messed with him and you know we had officers on the scene that were threatening to kill the dog right. um and the canine handler was obviously you know trying to get a hold of the dog it was it was an accident it right. it, it it happens um so you would think seeing that would mm-hmm. make me mentally prepare for a scenario like that (laughs) but i did not and so like one one thing early in my career that that did affect me was um in 2005 i just uh that was the first year i was over in the selective enforcement unit as an officer and uh we were helping um the shift with a a burglary it was a burglary in progress and by the time we got there the the people had gotten out of the building and uh, a canine was tracking uh, at least one of these suspects, uh, or we believed it was tracking one of these suspects. And I was on perimeter, and where I was standing was like at the edge of our jurisdiction, and there was a wood line. And uh, I knew that the canine handler was on the other side of this like wood line area, and um, the dog, the dog was sent into the wood line and the dog came out of the wood line at me. And at this point I still had my gun out because we believed one mm. of the suspects was lying up in this, in this wood line dog comes up to me. Pretty it, aggressively. Like, did he like run at you? Oh yeah. 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 So this cane, this canine is running at me. And, and let me tell you, these canines are very good at what they yeah. do. Like they're no joke. So he, he runs at me, nips at my hand, um, but doesn't bite me. And I'm like, thank God. Like, I thought I was going to get bit. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, he went through the wood line and came to me. Didn't bite me. Right. He went back up to the canine officer. I reholstered my gun because I'm like, you know, I don't think the suspect is in this wood line. And pl- plus, I was pretty shaken because this dog had like literally right. nipped at my hand and I was pretty shaken. So I reholstered my gun. And... um. Then there was just a complete breakdown in communication. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, if that officer was on here, and he, he'll probably listen to this episode and give me a hard time, he would say that it was my, my fault or he did at least uh, that, that evening. It was both our faults. There was a breakdown in communication. Yeah, it's an accident. Uh, we, did not, we did not communicate um, well. I did not communicate well because I was amped up because this dog, and the dog was still hitting probably on my scent canine handler you know believed that the dog was still hitting on the scent of bad guy at least i I believe that's that that's what happened and so the dog gets sent again and this dog comes out of the wood line a second time at me and i i knew this time i was not going to fare as well i knew i was going to get bit 
So he gets up to me. He uh, he kind of uh, gets me in the chest a little bit, and I turned, and then he uh, he got my arm, my upper arm, and and he just, I mean, he tore me up like he he got up right around like my tricep bicep area. And, uh, I still have like a, a huge scar there from this. And, um, I, and he was trying to pull me down on the ground and there was a building close to me. So I leaned against the building and basically I just, I was like, I'm not going on the ground with this dog. This dog's going to kill me. Um, again, I never, yeah ever mentally prepared for anything yeah. like this. And, um, so this dog tears me up and uh, trying to pull me down the ground and just ripping my arm to shreds. And I am screaming bloody murder. <laughs> and uh, so I mean, who wouldn't be? <laughs> so, you know, the guys That's think crazy. that the suspect has been apprehended right. and right. they come, you know, jogging around the corner uh, to take him to custody. And here it's me. So they yeah. get the dog off of me. Is this your guys? Is this SEU or is this shift guys? Yeah, it was some SEU mm-hmm. guys, some shift guys. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. who all was there. Well, I'm sure it's a little, little yeah. blurry. Um, really not too blurry. I, I remember mm-hmm. specific guys that were yeah. there, but I, you know, there had to be other SEU guys there. So they load me up in this, in this unmarked car. And, uh, I remember I was in so much pain. I was like, oh, and I was losing a lot of blood. I knew I was losing a lot of blood and where the dog had latched on is, is close to that, um, what is it, the brachial artery was right around where the dog was biting and I was bleeding a lot. So the thing that kind of shook me up in that incident was I, I didn't know if I was going to be okay. Right. And, and your co-workers were reacting like yeah. in a way that didn't help your. Yeah. I had, I had, um, I knew it was bad because I had a hard nosed Marine, uh, with me, uh, a guy I love dearly who was very upset um and he was trying to keep pressure on my arm and he was you know telling me not to look at it and um and uh i was in so much pain i was like peeling the uh the headlining on the car in this unmarked car i dug my fingers and i was like literally peeling off the ceiling i was in so much pain but i also was like i cannot pass out i do not want to pass out because i knew I was losing a lot of blood and I didn't know if that artery had been nicked or, or cut. And, uh, so they take me to the hospital, they get me in there. Um, the artery had not been, um, cut or nicked or anything. I had lost a lot of blood. They thought about giving me a blood transfusion, but decided they didn't need to, um, took me back in the trauma bay threw some staples in my arm. Uh, <laughs> the guys like to tell the story because at that point, you and I were not married. Yeah, what year? 2005. That was five I was years before we were graduating high school. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we, we didn't even I, know each other at all. Yeah. I'm eight years older yeah. than you for, for those uh, out there. But um, yeah, so we didn't know each other at all. And, and, uh, and so the guys like to tell the story because when I was in the trauma bay, my sergeant who was back in SEU, he's like, he's like, who can we call? Who can we call? I'm like, no one. Don't call anyone. But he was like on me. He was badgering me and badgering me and badgering me. And uh, he's like, we have to call someone. We have to call someone. We have to call someone for you. <laughs> and and like I'm telling you, they've given me like three shots of morphine, yeah. I think. 
<laughs> at this point they like they're just pumping me yeah. full of morphine and stuff and um and uh and so finally i relented and i was i i was like i guess i guess you can call my mom so the story now <laughs> is that i was laying on the on the table in the trauma bay and i was like yelling for my mom i was screaming for my <laughs> call mom my mommy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story uh, of but course I, but i think that was that i had never mentally prepared for that yeah and yeah. it did it did affect me. I mean, I can laugh about it. I can joke about it. And I laugh about it and joke about it at work. Um, or I had laughed right. and joked about it at work. And I can laugh and joke about it with other people. Um, but most people don't realize um, how much that, that actually affected me. Yeah. Because I, when they loaded me into the car, I did not actually know if I was going to be okay. Um, and I was telling myself to stay awake um, because I knew it was, it, it was serious. So not as serious as I thought it was. Right. Praise God. Um, yeah. Yeah. And really protected uh, you that night. Yeah. And the ER doctor called me the next day at home. I have no idea how he got my number, but he, <laughs> he, uh, he checked in with me and, and he told me, he said that was the mm. worst dog bite I've ever seen Jeez. in the ER. So um, yeah. So, uh, you know, that happened. That was like that was like a example of something that I wasn't prepared to deal yes. with, and and I think because of that, it had probably affected me greater than mm-hmm. uh, I would have expected. Like getting bit by a dog, it doesn't right. sound like that big of a deal, right? And and you think I would guess that because it was like a some it was like a a friendly fire incident of sorts. Like you're you're expecting traumatic things from bad guys. You're not expecting that from within the. And it was a, an accident for sure. But right. yeah, do you think that that played into that for you? Like wh- the the lack of mental preparation because you're you're not expecting. Oh yeah, the yeah. lack of mental preparation was based purely on you don't, it never crossed my mind right, that right. I would be accidentally bitten by a police dog, right. even though I had seen yeah. it happen to another officer. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just thought it was such an anomaly and right. it, and it really is, it does happen, um, uh, because they're animals, you know, and they don't, they don't recognize the uniform. They just, they just know they have a job to do. And when they're working, they're working. A uniform isn't going to stop out them. of the way. Yeah. So <laughs> how did that affect you in going forward then? Like future, were you pretty uh, amped with... I mean, I I know you don't like dogs. You've never, you know, really liked dogs as long as I've I've known you, and I'm sure that plays into it. But at work, was it even more amplified? Oh yeah, I I was like, I was not a fan of dogs <laughs> at work. I would I was pretty uh, pretty on edge when they were around, right. and I hated I hated being like you'd go into these houses with these giant pit bulls and stuff. Yeah, um, and and. Uh, you know, I never, I never got, I never got bit again. I yeah. got real close at one house one night uh, with two pit bulls, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I was always real, real edgy around dogs. That makes sense. That. So yeah, that that's that's pretty traumatic. Um, is that? Do you think that would be your top top incident that comes to mind? That no, not the top. I mean, but a. Yeah, I mean that was that happened early in my career. I was only yeah. five years on the job. Um, probably yeah, barely five years on the job. Yeah, so that that definitely maybe the first affected major affected me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely really affected me. That was the you know I was injured on the job and I was only off for like a couple weeks um, before I was back at it and I was fine and stuff. 
And, and now, like, I don't really feel like that affects me too much. But back then, mm-hmm. after it happened, yeah, and still when talking about it, when I, you know, you go back to that moment, right. and you start thinking about that, and you start, you know, not reliving it, but you, you, you have like, definite uh, levels of remembrance of how you were feeling, the fact that you weren't sure that you were going to uh, be okay. Um, and, uh, and I also thought my career was over at that point because after the dog let, uh, left loose to me and it was my right arm, my whole arm went numb. And, um, so there was some concern about nerve damage. Um, but, uh, once we got to the ER and everything and, and the doctors had looked at it and were able to check it, they said there's, doesn't appear to be any ongoing, um, nerve damage. Um, so you should be fine. But I, I thought my career was over at that point because my whole arm went numb. And I was like, this is my, I'm right-handed. This is my gun side. Like if my, if my, if my arm's numb, like if those nerves are destroyed, like I'm not going to be able to be a cop. So, you know, I think, you know, that also kind of amplified, you know, the, you know, yeah. how much that affected me. Cause I thought initially right. that my career was over and everything. And um, but yeah, no, no long standing damage. It gets itchy sometimes depending on the weather. And, uh, my, my two, uh, two fingers on my, on my hand, uh, sometimes depending on, uh, if I'm resting my arm a certain way or again, the weather or whatever will feel a little numb at times, but overall, like it, it, it didn't like affect, uh, affect me physically going, going forward. Yeah. Yeah. God really protected you. It's yeah a lot could it could have been was horrible but yeah could have had so so many long term yeah it could, have, it could have been a lot worse but yeah. the dog did exactly it wasn't yeah. the dog's fault the yeah. dog did exactly what he was trained to do which was like just you know grab onto someone and hold on to him and that's what he did yeah he grabbed onto me and held onto me he thought yep. i was a bad guy and yeah did um, they give the dog a medal <laughs> <laughs> you weren't the bad guy so <laughs> No, but the next day, so like part of my uniform sleeve and uh, was laying hmm. um, in the parking lot I was in and uh, there was a bunch of blood there and everything. And so the next day and that that where we were was right on the edge of our jurisdiction. And I think technically I was in uh, this other jurisdiction and uh, that jurisdiction called uh, into the police station and said, hey, are all your officers OK? We found part of a uniform and a bunch of blood like that's are crazy. all your guys okay <laughs> um crazy. and uh yeah so yeah that was that was interesting but yeah yeah so no it i think it's not the only yeah one i i think you know i in my career i was involved in in two two officer involved shootings um and again the even though you i mentally prepared for those types of incidents they still, they, they have an effect on you. Um, the first one was in 2007 and I was, uh, again in SEU and the selective enforcement unit. And I was in a surveillance, um, van. It was me and another officer, officer, um, Bernat, who, who has since retired. And, uh, we were, we were working together in a surveillance uh, capacity. Uh, we had an undercover officer out and, uh, we were, in an area, well, I'll just, I'll give the street names. It was, it was Marshall Street and East End Avenue uh, in Lancaster City. And 
they, uh, you know, we're, we're surveilling our undercover officer. He's out, he's trying to buy, um, buy dope and, uh, we're his, his primary surveillance, close cover, that sort of thing. And within a half block or a block of us, we heard shots fired, um, very close to us. And immediately thereafter, we see a white, uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse, uh, go, go through the intersection where we're at, blow the stop sign. And, uh, so we pull, pull behind this and we're like, well, this car obviously was involved in the shots fire. We mm. just heard they're, they're fleeing the area where we heard the shots and they're running stop sign. And right. so we begin to follow it and we call it out and, um, they, they go like a block and then the driver pulls to this pulls kind of double parks and two guys, two guys get out of the, out of the car. So, uh, my, myself, I'm in the back of this, this man, um, officer Bernat was the driver. So we called out, um, you know, like my radio transmission was like dropping off two guys and an East end. And, um, we get out, um, we decide to get out of the van, um, and, and try to chase them or keep eyes on them. Looking back may have not been the best tactical decision because we were completely plain clothes. Hmm. Um, we were wearing, wearing bulletproof vests, but we were in like sweatshirts. Right. I had my gun. I had a pair of cuffs. I had an extra magazine and I had a radio and, um, and a badge uh, that was on my belt. And um, Officer Burnout was dressed in a similar fashion. So we get out as soon as they see us or you know as soon as we announce you know police or whatever um they start both both suspects start running and so we are probably 50 yards into this foot pursuit and i hear like i'll i'll never forget this i hear my magazine my extra magazine mm-hmm. for my gun um come out of its holder and fall and hit the sidewalk and I remember like thinking probably some words I can't say on the podcast, but I, re- I was like, that is really bad because I may need that here in a, in a little bit. So we're running, uh, we run into like a, a low income housing project. I'm on the radio, I'm calling it out and we get into like this parking lot area and at least one of the suspects, I'm trying to remember both of them, but one of the suspects there, the the way this this uh, housing complex is set up is there's buildings like in a U shape, and then there's a parking lot in the middle. And so the suspect stayed on the sidewalk, and there's cars parked around the U, hmm. and then the the parking lot's wide open. So this suspect runs like on the sidewalk in front of the parked cars, um, and uh, Officer Bernat follows him, and I take a diagonal route through the parking lot because I'm like, I'm going to try to, you know, cut him off, cut him off of the pass. <laughs> and, you watched uh, enough westerns; you know what to do. <laughs> so, so in the middle of that parking lot, then I'm I'm in the middle of that parking lot, and I hear uh, a shot fired, and I knew that it was like the suspect. Somehow I knew. I, I don't know how I knew that. Um, but I, I, I was fairly certain the mm-hmm. suspect had fired. And so I kind of like got down on my haunches again, I'm in the middle of the parking lot. I have no cover. And then I see, I see the suspect still running. 
um, you know, in front of these parked cars. So I get up um, and and uh, start running again diagonally, and I see him turn again and fire back in the direction of um, of Officer Bernard. And so at that point, I'm like, I literally, I felt like I had no cover. Yeah. I was just in the middle of this parking lot. So I just, I, I was like, well, li- literally the quote I just thought of in my head right now is Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs> and I decided to get busy living because yeah. I was like, the, like the only way we're going to get through this is if I just, um, you know, give him everything I got. So, um, I did. I, I mean, I was, I was in a full sprint and I, I started putting rounds, um, towards him and, uh, he then turned and engaged with me. Um, I think he fired two rounds at me. Um, and so my feeling during that was basically, I remembered in training, good old Sergeant Odenwald, uh, who hired me and, and was the training officer when I got hired. He told us from the very beginning, if you're in a knife fight, expect to get stabbed. If you're in a gunfight, expect to be shot. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a round here. Um, but I'm not dying. (laughs) That was, that was my, uh, that was my, my mental, like I I actually thought that I was like, uh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to eat a round or two here, but I am not dying in this blankety blank parking lot. Right. I'm not dying here. Right. And a survival. uh, yeah. Yeah. Mindset. And uh so so uh so he like he keeps running. I I fired um eleven rounds um and he keeps running. He gets around the corner of the building, me and Officer Bernat meet up and then we we go around the corner of the building and, and try to relocate him and everything. And um I, I wasn't sure if I hit him. Hmm. He kept running like I hadn't hit him. Uh, it turned out that I had not hit him. Right. Um, and uh, long story short, he ends up he ends up getting into an apartment building and he took he took uh, hostages and the the SWAT team was called and they um, the CERT team the special emergency response team was called and um, we're finally able to take him into custody without any hostages getting hmm. hurt or anything like that. But it was difficult for me because I didn't, I felt like I had not done my job correctly. Um, not that I wanted to shoot him or kill him, um, but we're trained to stop the threat and I hadn't stopped the threat. He was able to get away. He was able to take hostages. It turned into a dangerous situation for other officers. Um, and uh, um, I learned that running full speed and trying to shoot accurately is literally impossible. Most of my rounds were, were super low. Um, I was also super concerned because I had a round go. There was like a, uh, a ground level window into an apartment and one round had gone through that window. Um, and, uh, so I was kind of sick to my stomach because, you know, I'm responsible for those rounds. I mean, I was fighting for my life. Right. Um, and I, I was, I was just trying to live, but you know, in that, like, I, I just felt sick because yeah. I was like, I don't know if everyone in that apartment is okay. And right. I didn't know for, for a long time if any, if everyone in that apartment was okay. Um, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Like the suspect made his decisions right. and drove my action. Yeah, it wasn't, absolutely. it wasn't wrong for me to return fire, but no. I was also distinctly aware that I had not hit him. 
And so where had those bullets gone? And and that was like a, a very big concern to me. And I felt like I had failed in a, in a, in a certain respect. Um, but I was also euphoric that I had survived because I knew, I knew how close um, I had gotten to, you know, taking a bullet and, you know, you never know how that's going to end. Um, but I was just, I felt this like euphoria, mm. uh, in surviving and, um, and just to give people an idea of how fast you can fire 11 rounds, I fired 11 rounds so fast that one of the first arriving officers on the scene, uh, actually called out on the radio that he had automatic weapon fire, like Jeez. that he was hearing an wow. automatic weapon. Um, wow. uh, and that's how fast I was firing. So and- and afterwards, how many how many did you think you had shot? Like, I'm guessing you probably thought it was fewer than that. I don't remember knowing if I knew how many. Yeah, but it I just, remember everything happened so fast yeah. and training just takes over. And after it was over, I remember checking my magazine and seeing, you know, you know, I couldn't believe that I had fired 11 rounds. Um, I didn't think I had fired that many. Um, I think the suspect had fired two at officer Bernat and two at me, um, during the gunfight. And, um, so yeah. And so, and, and one of my, one of my buddies, uh, a guy who, who's like, he's just a good cop. He was there. He was brand new and, uh, he was in the military and, uh, I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't really even know him. But I remember he was there, and uh, I I had to stay on the scene, on perimeter because we set up a perimeter because we didn't know initially mm-hmm. where the suspect had gone. Right. Um. And so they kept me on the scene, uh, which which was not a good decision as a as a supervisor looking back. You know, anyone who's engaged in that because at first I don't think they knew that I had actually returned fire. There was, wow. It's just chaos. Yeah. It's absolute chaos. But they put me on the scene, and I remember being out like on perimeter and like citizens talking to me, and I was like, oh I goodness. should not be talking to anybody right now because I'm yeah. had right. to like engage <laughs> in this thing, and right. I'm not exactly like yeah, you're not the, in that headspace. I'm not calm. No. Like, I, I I I shouldn't be talking to citizens. No. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, law abiding citizens that right. were just concerned, right. you know, about what was going on and stuff right. like that, but you know, I was not, yeah, I, you're not the friendly sh- voice of, of PR at that point. No, <laughs> or ever, if we're honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this one, this one officer who was, who was brand new, um, I don't even know if he was in training then or not, but mm. I went up to him and I, I just told him, I'm like, give me a magazine. Okay. Yeah. Cause, you um, lost cause I lost mine yeah. at the beginning and without question, he handed it to me. He handed a magazine, um, one of his magazines, uh, for his handgun to me so that I could have it. And, uh, I never forgot that he, he's never forgot that. And, uh, I remember talking to him. I don't remember how soon after that incident, I remember talking to him and pulling him into an office and, and just telling him how much that meant to me because I knew there were officers on the department that had, I asked them for that, they would have said, well, why? And I will tell you, had an officer asked me why when I told him that, I probably would have punched him right in the face. I'm not going to lie. 
Um, because here's the thing. When you're a rookie, don't ask why. Just do what you're told to do. Um, I know that's not the way we train now, but it drives me crazy. When you're a rookie, just do what you don't ask why. Um, unless it's immoral or yeah, illegal. There you go. You know, yep. just do what you're told to do. But anyways, that that meant so much to me and yeah. I'm still friends with that guy. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's he's a he's a great cop. But yeah. um and then the second shooting. So what happened is there was like euphoria for that one hmm. and there's then there was like this letdown. Where I was like, okay, for the last seven years, because that happened in 2007, so I've yeah. been on the job for seven years, I've been preparing for this. I've survived. I didn't do a great job. Um, I wish I would have done my job better, but I made it. And um, and so then, like, there was this letdown, and where, where I started like being bothered by the fact that I didn't mm. feel like I was as mentally prepared for the next time. Mm. So I began to mentally prepare for the next time because that's just how i operated i was like okay i'm seven years in it happened once right if i'm just like okay it's never going to happen again then then i'm not in a right place so five years later 2012 another foot pursuit um this time we were at a bar closing and i um i we had a, a a person come up to us and say hey there's a guy up around the corner uh, who has a gun on him and he's he's about ready to get into fights with people and stuff like that so me and several other officers we go up around the corner and we um actually uh lieutenant Stoltzfus, hmm. what i mean he wasn't a lieutenant then but um yeah you guys were on night work together yeah same then shift officer Stoltzfus mm-hmm. and myself and um a couple other guys we went up there and um we saw the guy and uh because we had someone giving us specific information in person we had a right to to stop this this guy that matched the description so we uh called out to him to to uh have a seat on the curb or whatever well he takes off running right away and he runs through this large parking lot that goes over an alleyway or a street and into another large parking lot. So he starts running through this parking lot and uh, uh, we're, we're running and uh, he's like reaching in his waistband. I can see him reaching his waistband. And so I made the decision. I was like, I'm already at deadly force in my head right now. Um, and if I see that gun, um, then like it is what it is. Like, I'm just, I'm going to get after it because here's the thing. Like, the police don't have to wait to be shot right. at to engage a suspect, an armed suspect. Right. And an armed suspect with a gun, even if he's running away from you, um, can shoot over his shoulder yeah. and he can turn and shoot and he can end your life in a millisecond. Um, and so there, there's this big thing right now where, you know, you shot him in the back. He was running away. It does not matter. The courts have, the courts have said use of force policy is clear. That an armed suspect, whether he's running away from you or not, if he's refusing to drop that gun, right. he is a deadly threat to right. you. And you don't know um, what he's, he, he could harm you. He could, har- he could carjack someone. And, and right. yeah, you don't, you have no idea what, what his plans are, why he's running away. Like he's clearly not complying. And, right. Yeah. And you make an excellent point. It. He's, he's a, he's a threat to the public right. too. Right. Like if, if we don't Active, engage yeah. him and if we don't stop that threat and he ends up 
grabbing someone and holding yeah. them hostage. That's on the police. That's on the police because yeah. we didn't deal with that threat. Right. So he's running and as he's running, um, his his right hand flashes across uh, his chest and I see just the barrel of the gun poke out past his like arm and shoulder. And uh, so I fire around and as soon as I fire the round, I go back to my mm. previous shooting and I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't work. <laughs> Running and shooting doesn't work. Contrary to what Hollywood tells us. Yes, it does not work. And so, but I was like, I thought maybe I had actually hit him because mm. he fell. Um, he fell and he fell right by a storm grate and he still had the gun in his hand. And so I was pulling up, I was coming to a stop and I was a finger on the trigger and I was getting ready to just walk rounds right into him because he still was holding the gun. Um, and again, he's not following any verbal direction. Right. He's not stopping. He's not dropping the gun. Nothing we're telling him to do. And um, so as I'm depressing the trigger, I see him drop the gun into the storm grate and uh he gets back up and keeps running so he runs through the second parking lot i'm able to catch up to him and uh, tackle him and everything and the worst part about this incident is when we went back um i there were multiple storm grates on this on the street and the first storm grate i went to that i thought he had dropped the gun in there was nothing in there and i was like oh my goodness i just i shot at a guy and he like there's no gun here. I'm like, I know I saw a gun. And um what had happened is I went to the wrong storm grate. Uh one of the other officers said, No, it wasn't this one that he fell out. It was this one up here. And we went up and sure enough, the gun was right, right on top of the all the sludge and everything in the in there. So so yeah, that was that was again, I felt like I had failed, not because I, you know, wanted to shoot anyone, but I didn't effectively stop the threat. I had another round that I fired at a suspect, an armed suspect that, you know, I don't, to this day, I don't know where it went. Um, you know, maybe detectives do. I don't know if evidence techs have ever found it or not, but, um, and, uh, yeah, so, so he, uh, I think the saddest part about that one is my understanding is during the interview, I knew this suspect, I had had engagements with him before for more minor stuff. And, um, he told the detective that interviewed him that he wishes he wishes Weaver would have just killed him. Yeah, um, that's super sad. So that 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 kind of bothered me. Like you know, his life was bad enough that he just kind of yeah. wished I would have ended it for him. Um, so in retrospect, yeah, probably glad I didn't. And hopefully, yes. you know, something comes out of that and he yes. can turn his life around and and everything i don't i don't know what he's up to these days but he got i think he got five to seven years um and then the guy that had the earlier mm-hmm. shooting i talked about he got um 36 to 72 years i think but that was because he was charged with attempted homicide on yeah on, both uh, of you right yeah two and then he took officers. hostages like yeah. that's that's pretty intense yeah. and i thought it was really interesting in that trial the one where where the shooting where he took hostages and everything um he tried to claim that he didn't know who was chasing him uh, because we were playing clothes. Wow. And, um, and, and there was some question because obviously my badge was on my belt, so mm. it wasn't clearly visible. And I, for the life of me, could not remember if I yelled police. Right. Um, I remembered yelling, stop, get on the ground, but I couldn't remember, like, I don't know who else yells that, but right. um, I never, so that had come up in the trial. Mm. And at sentencing, 
because he had tried to claim that he didn't know it was the police and you know he was still found guilty um by the jury uh and at sentencing the judge um judge Madensbacher uh said he completely rejected that uh notion or maybe it was at sentencing where he tried to say that but either way uh judge Madensbacher said i completely reject that um no one being chased by someone who they don't believe is the police would take hostages and i was like that is a very astute uh thing to say like you're right like if you just think you're being chased by you know yeah some some guys you have a beef with on the street you're not going to break into a house and take hostages Yeah, they're not going to care about hostages yeah Yeah. they you know it's interesting so yeah exactly because a bad guy another bad guy chasing a bad guy isn't going to care okay you broke into a house and took hostages i'm going to break in and just shoot you anyway so you know um yeah so i I thought that was that was really interesting so i would say those things really affected me um as i went on my career because that was so it was 2007 then 2012 and then um you know you know i've expressed some other things i was involved in in some of the other earlier episodes and you know, just, you know, you're just involved in stuff, Yeah. you know? Yeah. You were constantly getting in something. Right. And then, um, and then I think also what really affected me in my career is, you know, you and I, you know, went through a very, uh, difficult thing dealing with something that happened in your past. And, um, and, uh, so, you know, we met in 2010 and so 2009, Oh boy. Oh boy, so, I'm in trouble now. No, you're not. You know you're not in trouble. <laughs> we met in 2009. Just we let were the record show. It was 2009. That's all. <laughs> we were married in 2010, yeah. and uh, and um, <laughs> and so from basically when we were married in 2010 to 2015, uh, you know, we were dealing with yeah, that, it and was it was it pretty was intense for a long time. Yeah, and it was intense, and there weren't hardly there was hardly anybody. Mm-hmm. that I was talking to about it. Yeah, that that knew intimately what what was going on and yeah. Right. Um at at work especially. And um and during that time we had our daughter and then I'd switched to day work and um I was uh I was still just going 100 miles per hour at work, but I was dealing with this extremely personal and difficult family situation. Um, and my life was changing because I was now married and I had a kid and, um, I became distinctly aware of the fact that, you know, are they going to be okay? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a trust in God issue. Like, are they going to be okay without me? Like somehow I'm going to do a better job than God can do, but it was still something I was struggling with. And, um, and I went to day work and a lot of my friends had gone up to detectives um, or had been promoted. And I went to a shift where I wasn't very close to anyone. And um, I think... And you didn't really want to be there. Like I had I had asked you to make that change to be able to be home at night. And um, yeah. like you, you did it willingly for me, but I don't think you would have made that. You, you would not have made that change on your own. I don't know. I don't really remember. I know yeah, that I, I was getting pretty I burnt out because like, I was on night work. Right. Right. And I know that I was getting, I was getting pretty burnt out on night work though too. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe. But I was ready for a little bit of a change, but it did. It did. Yeah, it was. I I don't know that it would have been something you just did did on your own. It it was. It was. I know it was hard on you. Yeah. Um, but I also remember kind of being like, I I could go for a change, and Mm -hmm. it will definitely be better for family life. Right. Um, and uh, but when I did that, like, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't have very. I didn't have any close friends on that right. shift um I, I i didn't really feel like i could rely very much a lot on on uh officers on that shift and um i just i i never had felt so alone in my life yeah i really felt alone on on all fronts basically yeah, yeah. um because you know I, I i wasn't really talking too much about what we were dealing with um on the street i was still like really really putting pressure on certain really bad blocks and i was i was really getting into a lot of things on day work um on the job uh that were you know starting to build up uh on me and affecting me um and i started getting you know super hyper vigilant and just concerned about uh, my safety and everything. So that was just a. Those years took a lot out of me, and I think they took more out of me than I than I realized. Um, yeah, and, yeah, because you were giving everything at work, and then you were coming home, and emotionally, you were you were giving everything right. that you had to give. Right. Yep. And just it was just a cycle for a long time of. Yeah, I think just a lot being sucked out of you. And you've mentioned the hypervigilance before. Um, I, th- I think there's been, you know, a few episodes where you've talked about that a little bit and referenced it again just now. And um, can you just talk about that a little bit? Like what, what that was, how it affected you? Yeah, so, you know, I don't think I've ever really defined hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Obviously, vil- vigilance as a police officer is a good thing. Right. Um, but I became hypervigilant, um, which... It's kind of like vigilance on steroids. Yeah. Um, you are constantly alert. You're, it never ends. Hmm. Um, it's very difficult for it to end, even when you're off uh, duty. Uh, very hard to relax. Uh, very sensitive to surroundings. Always on the lookout for danger. And um, oftentimes, it, it's an overreaction hmm. uh, to what you're experiencing. Um, so how that manifested itself on the job is that I found myself because of for like a perfect example would be like two foot pursuits. Um, I've been in, I don't even know how many foot pursuits I've been involved in. I wouldn't even, I don't even know how to put a number on it, but uh, been involved in many foot pursuits somewhere suspects through guns, uh, been in a fight with a guy who had a gun on him who pulled the gun out during the fight and just threw it uh been in a foot pursuit where a guy had a sawed-off shotgun down his pant leg been in a foot pursuit where a guy went around the corner and threw a gun into a trash can as i came around the corner stuff like that and so and then been in two foot pursuits where you know i i had to engage an armed suspect so what started happening is like for instance like if i saw the warning signs that a foot pursuit was going to happen um whereas the beginning of my career it was pure like i'm going to get this guy 
Like I see, I see him starting to make those movements and do those things that I know are right. going to lead to a foot pursuit. Um, whereas towards the end of my career, any little red flag indicator that indicated the guy was possibly going to run, my like my adrenaline dumps were like mm. through the roof. Right, like and you were expecting worst case scenario outcomes every time. Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I was, I was ready to. I was like, all right you know, let's, let's, uh, like, I, you know, mm-hmm. here, here it goes again. Right. You know? Instead of being in that moment and then, and then processing those through those right. things. I yeah. was, I was, I was forecasting ahead right. and going, oh, I've been here before. Right. I know how this works. I know how dangerous this is. Or um, could be. Or could yeah. be. So I'm, I'm getting ready to, you know, defend my life. And so, um, and that started like, and so vehicle stops, like I do a vehicle stop. And I don't know that I ever talked to anybody about this on the job. I, I would do a vehicle stop. And if I had any indicator of anything, like the person didn't pull over fast enough, or I saw a movement in the car, like I was already at the place of this person's armed and I need to take every single precaution possible. Um, and in some ways that's good because you're 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 not just assuming they're hiding drugs right. you're not just assuming they're you know hiding dope or crack or whatever you're assuming they have a weapon and so then you take the proper precautions but right. what happened to me is i was getting huge adrenaline dumps mm. on like just normal traffic stops if i had any red flag indicators i was getting huge adrenaline dumps and so i was trying to manage those adrenaline dumps um, and still be effective. And, um, and if you would listen to a body cam, like I would sound calm. It would seem, I would seem okay. But, and it was weird, like later, because body cam, I, I forget when we got body cams, but I remember watching stuff later in my career where I was wearing a body cam and I, I knew how amped I was during the situation. I would listen to body cam and I would be like, it's incredible how calm I sound. Um, so I knew I was managing it, but it was just taking a toll on me because I was constantly having these huge adrenaline dumps on things that I should not have been having huge adrenaline right. dumps they on. Could have gone sideways, but most of them didn't. Yeah. Right. And yeah. um and and so like that just starts to take a toll on yeah. you. And then what what happened is like it just it would take me longer to relax. So like we'd go on vacation. Yeah. And it would take me three, four days to actually like, yeah, even be on vacation. Right. And then, you know, one vacation we were on, we had an officer involved shooting where an officer was shot. Yeah. And um, it was your shift. It was my shift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was beside myself. Yeah. I, it ruined the vacation. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm on the phone because there was a rookie at that scene who I'd been training, who was with a different training officer while I was on vacation. Um, and, and so I, I spent like, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes on him with him on the phone at the pool while on vacation, just trying to make Mm -hmm. sure he was okay. Um, you know, so those types of things, you know, you just, it just builds up over time. And then, you know, it just continued to, I, I guess just cumul. Yeah, it was just like cumulative effect. It right. just kept going and going, and it 
you know, I, I had physical stuff going on at one point. I was seeing a doctor because I had heart palpitations and I knew what it was. I didn't want to admit what it was, but I knew it was stress related. Um, and, uh, and, um, you know, I just became like, I became completely withdrawn from like once 2015 hit and you and I had worked our way through, um, that difficult situation we had been working our way through and we got some relief from that. Um, I just come, I mean, I completely checked out of our marriage. I'll be completely honest. Um, you know, I was, we weren't in crisis mode. Like the, the situation didn't go away, but we were no longer in crisis mode or, or, yeah, actively, you know, trying to be okay. And, and yeah, so it, it felt, I think you felt like you could take a break, like you could back away a little bit and I was going to be okay. And, and you could just breathe and just kind of went too far. Yeah. I, I was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was completely, uh, mentally, emotionally exhausted and I was still, um, getting after it at work and and uh and i just been well in 2015 i would have been promoted so i was you know trying to get a handle on on that and what what that meant to be a sergeant new work challenge yeah yeah and um so i i was like yeah i just was not in a good place um i felt like you know i'd walked with you through the deep waters of what we had walked through um and and uh we were you know like you said it was like a calmer place situation wasn't over but we were you know at a calmer place and uh yeah i uh i checked out and and i i started drinking a lot um i just i got to a point like on on my days off where i would just like 10 11 o'clock in the morning <laughs> i'd start drinking and I drank the whole way through the afternoon. And uh, by dinner time, I was just like ready to go to bed. Um, and I was, I was useless. Um, and then, you know, days I worked, I would just go to work and, you know, do my job and come home. And I was just, I, I, I just felt like I didn't have the capacity yeah. to be um, yeah. mentally or physically or emotionally present. And, um, and, uh, yeah. And that's, that's kind of what, you know, any type of ongoing problem or trauma, um, does to you is it just, you, you kind of, you get comfortable in it. And so when you get comfortable in it, you just kind of wallow in it. Cause it's a lot easier than actually putting in the hard work and getting out of it. And, um, but Luckily, or not luckily, I should say, I'm blessed to have you because you, um, we went out on it. I'll, I'll never forget that, <laughs> that quote unquote date yeah. we went out on <laughs> and, uh, yeah. we go to a, to a, a pretty nice restaurant, one of our favorite places. And, and, uh, I rem- like, I'll never forget you telling me like, Hey, um, this ain't, this ain't working real well. Like you are, you are not here. You are not present. Um, and, uh, you, you actually, I remember you telling me that, you know, almost every night 
at, you were like crying yourself to sleep because I was just, by the time I got to bed, I had drank enough that I just fell asleep. And, uh, and that, uh, that was kind of like my wake up call that started my wake up call. I think, um, of, you know, yeah, I was just really ashamed Mm -hmm. of, of how I had been treating you and the family. And, um, wasn't doing anything abusive i wasn't no you know you were just tired i just was so tired tired. i know i was really tired i know yeah so it was just it was that that was difficult and but i remember you know i i started making more of an effort still still struggling but you Um, did i was still really struggling though and and uh and i just felt like i was an emotional basket case. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, those who have heard the podcast can tell, like, I tend to be an emotional guy. Like, um, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, good, bad, ugly. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I just like, I would just have these breakdowns. Mm. Um, that were pretty volatile. Well, I think I think you're I think that now especially you you do. That's true. You're wearing your emotions on your sleeve, but back then I I don't think that that was true. I think that um anger was kind of the only emotion that you would that you would let out. Um you didn't really let a lot out of other even true like joy or you know, happiness, even I think you had kind of tamped down just, just as a, a coping mechanism, as a survival mechanism. Um, so you didn't, you, you were accustomed to seeing a lot of hard things, dealing with a lot of hard things. And even at home, that was true. And so I, you know, I, I don't think that you knew how to look those things in the face and let out healthy emotion and Right. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I I still don't I don't I know. It's, I think it's a lot better. And yeah. and I think, you know, the only I think all of it makes so much sense and I I don't think I could see it, you know, as much back then. But Oh, I couldn't either. Yeah. Yeah. But I think all I knew was when I had I had I don't even know two a combined like two three years of counseling like and having just you know recently come out of that last stretch for myself like I feel like the only thing that I knew was like you just need you've got to talk about this stuff like you've got to be able to let this stuff out and right. and look it in the face and and just just deal with some of it and yeah. and just talk about all of the things that you went through at work and you know, things that you just, you just kind of put it in a box and you move on because that's kind of what men do in general, but also that's how you survive at work. Um, and sometimes you, you have sometimes to Sometimes you have to. I think we yeah. live in a culture that sometimes we're too yeah. quick to, oh, we have to talk about right. this and we have to, and then you we know. never move on. We just stay in our, right. we just stay there forever and or, talk about our feelings. Right. Or, or we, or we, we live in a culture too, where you, you need to assign a name to it yeah. and then once you assign a name to it you can claim it mm. as your That's your true. own personal problem that you just you That's hold true. and you coddle it it's almost a badge yeah wear, like, oh like i have, well, this, I have this yeah you know yeah. and and um th- you know so so just bear with me because i i have this yeah um 
And I, I feel like I can, I can do that too, to some extent. Right. Yeah. And, and we all can. Yeah. We're, we, like, we, our hearts are deceitfully yeah, wicked. absolutely. And so we all can, um, you know, get to that, you know, it's easy to hold on to that right. stuff and because it is, it's comfortable. Yes. You've, it's an experience yeah. that you've gone through or experiences that you've gone through. Right. Um, there, they were deeply, they deeply affected you. Right. And so you just, and, and the feelings and emotions that they bring with it, um, over the years become very comfortable. Right. Even if they're awful, it's, it's what you know. So it's, it's easier to know. stay there than to move on. And the enemy uses it. Yeah. And Absolutely. ultimately as believers, we're called to bring those feelings and emotions under, yeah. um, subjection. Is that the right word? Yeah. Of mm-hmm. the word of God. Right. And, right. and you know, rely on scripture and not rely on my right. emotions, not to rely on my minds. feelings, renew yeah. our minds through, through the wording of, uh, through the reading of God's word. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was, I wasn't doing that. I, w- I was like, I was completely up in my own head. I was, you know, I was checked out Yeah. and, and, um, and I think you're right early on. It was, it was just like, anger like hmm. the littlest things would set me off mm-hmm. um again i, I wasn't yes. abusive no never now ne- you were never ever 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 violent at home just just the, just your temper temper would just you know things would set you off and just be angry yeah um and um but i yeah i think it was a lot of grief on the inside and and just not not knowing how to how to process it all how to right and and there weren't there wasn't a safe space for you for a really long time to to, to deal with stuff like a you safe space well yeah i know i don't i don't like that either but like work you know obviously works work is crazy and you were crazy at work so work you know you couldn't you can just go in and talk and not that you guys would ever do that anyways but you know talk about it your was feelings work. over coffee yeah and then you came home and you were just making sure i was okay for a long time and that right. it, yeah we were just surviving kind of on all fronts for a very long time and yeah I, it, it everything from 2015 on it like it it makes sense and god was so good to us and so faithful and held us through all of that and preserved our marriage and you know gave both of us i mean i needed wake-up calls too i needed to look myself in the mirror and realize that you know it, it was not just you it was you know, I was also bringing unrealistic expectations or, yes, to some extent still living in my own, you know, pain and suffering and, you know, just expecting you to be there forever, you know, at the level that you were the first five years when, you know, we we both needed to, to move on, to move beyond that and right. and walk in healing and me and me especially at that point you were the one then that needed you know some care and some right so it was yeah, it I was don't... not just you like it was definitely me too yeah no i yeah i i i think from 2010 to 2015 what mm-hmm. we dealt with like yeah. once we got to a a more um stable yeah. place yeah i felt like okay She's good. She's good. <laughs> and and I checked out. And, right. and that wasn't a conscious decision. It no, was just like I know. okay, we made it. Right. Like we're we're at a a much more peaceful right. place right now. And uh and uh I'm spent. And right. I'm I'm out. Understandably so. Like I'm out. Yeah. And and uh and you know, to to my shame, like that that's just subconsciously what happened. Right. I didn't even know it was happening. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and and I also thought I I still thought I was good. Like I yeah. I didn't think anything know. was wrong. And I don't think I even really knew that something was wrong until until that night where you were like, hmm. and that was like, was that 2017? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know we'd gone out, so it'd been right. two years, and you. That's when you kind of laid down, um, you know, hey, this, I just, this isn't working. Right. Just felt like we couldn't, we could not go on like that anymore. Like something had to give. Right. And uh, so, so that kind of started the long road of me trying to be a little more intentional and present. And um, I stopped uh i would i i stopped my uh crazy <laughs> day drinking thing where i you know yeah. start at 10 or 11 in the morning and um just uh you know started working on that try to be more present um and it like i don't know that i did really a great job but what also happened I is you did like i also there was so much emotion in me um uh, like sad emotion um, that like started seeping out. Like I think I even told you a couple times, like I feel like a volcano yeah. ready to explode. Right. Um, and little things, you know, or, you know, I'd see, we'd be watching a TV show or I'd see something that would just take me back to something that mm-hmm. was, you know, it deeply affected me. And, and so I was having like these really um, volatile, emotional I don't yeah it would just it would I come would, out yeah the emotion would come out I this is where I need to be vulnerable I would cry okay yeah. I would cry I would I would have like these huge breakdowns and um and uh and I mean I think that's a testament to you that I felt safe enough to do it around you because I didn't do it anywhere else um but I was having like these huge like uh yeah I, yeah it's, i mean talking about it it makes it makes me sound like i was a mess um I, i'd like to think i wasn't that much of a mess but maybe no, i was but i think it makes you sound human i think people you know i think there just is there still is and i, I think like you said like i think maybe the pendulum has swung too far i, I mean i i definitely think it has and that we care way too much about feelings and emotions and let's talk about everything and and I'm a I'm a woman (laughs) but yeah I I think you know but I do uh, particularly among you know crazy type a males that are you know law enforcement military like you 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 don't you I think you still think there's still some sort of stigma where you just you should not ever have to deal with that kind of stuff like you should be able to just drive on and drive on forever but you know you you're human and and God gave you emotions. And I think you can only tamp stuff down for so long before it just starts to leak out, starts to come out. And, right. and, and there definitely were just things, all multiple things, you know, that just, that did deeply affect you and, and you needed to be able to, to talk about and. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. And it did, it started seeping out mm-hmm. and then uh, you were encouraging me to go to counseling, um, which I finally did do. Yeah. Um, 2018? No, 2019. Okay. I finally went. Yeah. It only took you two years. <laughs> I may Actually, have started you, mentioning you, it before then. Yeah, I you probably I did. did. 
<laughs> it's all good. I I only started uh, pretty much begging you to go though. Yeah, my, yeah. Ab- after that, at some yeah. point after that. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I did, um, and it was it was helpful, and 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 uh, you know, I was like, because probably 2017, 2018, I was thinking I might leave at 20 years. Um, I didn't even know if that would be financially viable or you know what that even meant and then I started going to counseling and that really helped and I was like okay I'm going to stick it out 25 years and then uh uh 2020 happened and God was like no you're you're done um uh cuz that that I mean 20 I mean 2020 took a lot out of me um and I also just I really started feeling like God was calling me away from law enforcement to do something else um to do this podcast and um uh yeah i i i i just felt like my time was done and and part of it was uh because i saw the writing on the wall with the way um the department was going with the way law enforcement in general was going and uh i didn't want to be part of it i i i believe like law enforcement should be law enforcement and um you know the way you know, we're cutting the cutting guys off at the knees right now and not allowing them to do their jobs, telling them not to do their jobs, telling them not to enforce uh, small, you know, telling them not to enforce, enforce summary crimes or, you know, look the other way for certain things or, you know, we have to appease people. We have to appease lawbreakers. I want no part of it. And my conscience was violated in 2020. I, I literally, I called Al. Mm. And I told Al, I said, for the first time in my life, I'm embarrassed to be a police officer and not because of what they're saying, because what people are saying is not true, um, but because we're, we're not doing our job. Right. You personally weren't being allowed to, your, your whole department, your shift, your, your guys. Yeah. So I, you know, that was kind of like the, the last straw for me and, um, you know, and, and here we are now I'm talking about my feelings. Yeah. On episode thirteen, <laughs> I I know I know it's I should probably rather be doing anything else than talking about your feelings, but I I hope I I just hope it's helpful. I think you know had maybe had you not that you know guys should have to spend their whole lives in you know counseling or whatever talking about their feelings, but but maybe had maybe year you know twenty fifteen had just even in light of what you know we had gone through. Like, had you gone and processed some stuff then, like maybe, maybe the the next couple years would have been avoided. And obviously, God's plan is perfect, and He used all of that, like all the things that we wish we could have avoid, are are part of the plan. And and even evil, you know, things that are meant for evil for us, God uses for good and for His glory. So it happened the way it was supposed to happen, but. Yeah, like our I think our hope in getting this vulnerable would be that you know, maybe somebody who's who's dealing with similar things or starting to deal with similar things would not feel alone, not feel, you know, ostracized or like they're an anomaly, but that this is normal human reactions to completely abnormal situations that you find yourself in in life right. and be able to 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 do something about it sooner rather than later. Yeah. And and you're you're absolutely right. It is normal normal reactions to abnormal situations, and then it just comes down to how are you going to 
manage yeah. those normal reactions right. and make sure that they don't affect um, your life and your livelihood and decisions you're making and that sort of thing. And so, so yeah, I mean, if if someone's listening to this, um, who's in law, who you know specifically who's in law enforcement, who can kind of understand or fully understand some of the things I'm saying, or is dealing with some of the same things. I mean, I, w- I would definitely yeah. want that person to reach out to me and talk yeah. to me. And, yeah. um, you know, I would definitely, I'd, I'll sit down and grab a cup of coffee with you. I'll talk to you on the phone. Um, you know, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with, I would definitely have that conversation because, um, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how far into my career, probably up through 2015, like there were, there were, uh, I was still like, I, I might be here till I'm 60. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I yeah, thought, you were I like, I'm I, never going to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm, I might be a lifer. Right. I mean, I'm definitely going to do 25 and, right. um, you know, I was like, I might go to, I'm 60, uh, which would have <laughs> put me in law enforcement for. I don't know. I can't do the math. Like 37 <laughs> years, 38 Long years, time. something like that. Yeah. And um uh yeah, that quickly became Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't it wasn't God's plan for you. Right. And I think you would have stuck it out at, to to your own detriment and Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I I just forgot that I was running this interview. <laughs> Better check my notes. It's because I'm uh, talking too much. No, you're good. I I think the other thing too, just in in talking about the counseling and talking to somebody, and um, had we not, I think if you're a believer too, like the importance of getting biblical counseling is huge because, like, had we not had the the word of God not been the the source for the help of the help for us we would not have been helped. So I yeah, don't know I, if that's worth, me- I feel like that's worth mentioning. For yeah, sure. abs- absolutely. I mean, the, you know, our faith is paramount to just how we do life. And I mean, that doesn't mean we're perfect. I mean, we're doing a whole podcast episode about how we're not perfect, but, um, and, and the guys I worked with, you know, they would, they, they would tell you like, uh, you know, I'm not perfect. Like they saw me do things that, uh, uh, or say things a Christian shouldn't say and do, you know? And, um, because I'm human and, 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 uh, but it, it, you know, that worldview, that, uh, biblical worldview, our faith, um, the fact that, uh, we're saved because of what Jesus has done for us is so paramount to everything that we do in our life. So I think it's an excellent point that as a, as a Christian, that counseling you seek out yeah. should be biblical counseling. Yeah. And, and I did, I, I sought a biblical counselor out, uh, which, which was, uh, you know, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Very helpful. But yeah, I mean the, the Bible says that it, it has everything that we need for life and godliness. So if you know, if we're not going there first for for everything, like what what are we doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of piggybacking off, like talking about faith and um, how much that means to you. Um, how did how did your how did your faith grow while you were on the job? Um, was it different when you first got hired? Like, 
did the jab help it? Did it hinder it at any point? Like talk about that a little. I mean, overall, um, I think not. Did your faith not? Did your faith uh, hinder you on the job? I meant more like did it? Did being on the job? Did you marry those things well easily early on? Uh, no, not early on. I think I I really struggled with, you know, um, as a believer trying to. Uh, trying to marry being a Christian Mm -hmm. and then working in uh, complete sin, depravity, Mm. uh, you know, wickedness, um, brokenness, filth, violence. Like, you're like, how how does this mesh? Like, how does this go together? You know, um, you know, and, and, you know, the home I grew up in was, you know, we, you know, it was a Christian home. We went to church, like, um, you know, most of my friends growing up were church friends. And, and, uh, so being in that type of environment was challenging at first. And I also think I, I was just struggling in my relationship with God because because of the way I grew up I I was a good person in right. my in my head you know and I think I talked about this um in my in the episode with Al like I I I thought I was a good person I mean I lived a moral life I did uh thing things correctly I did things the way uh, right. a Christian right should way. do them yeah. the right way you yeah. know I I I wasn't you know um, yeah, I wasn't yeah. engaging in some of the things that my other friends were engaging in. Um, so as I got on in my career, I started feeling, uh, I mean, it was before we met. I don't really remember what years it was. I think maybe it was 2008, 2009. Cause was I still taking online yeah. courses when we met? Yeah. 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 So 2008, 2009, you know, I really felt like I was supposed to go back and work towards my college degree because I had my associate's degree. I felt like I should do Liberty mm-hmm. University's online program and and do their um, uh, religion program, which I hate that they call it, um, you know, <laughs> relig- bachelor's in religion. It should be bachelor's in Bible because they're mm-hmm. teaching biblical theology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... Yeah, I felt like I should go back and do that. I had no desire to do it, but I did. And that was so huge for me because in that I I learned I was I I I saw my own depravity. Like through those courses, I came to understand my sinfulness mm-hmm. and that I wasn't a good person. Um and that uh my depravity and who I was had helped nail Jesus to the cross mm-hmm. and that the wrath that I deserved from God was actually poured out on Jesus uh, on my behalf. And uh, that really uh, changed uh, just kind of like, I don't, I don't even know what the right word is, um, revamped my mm-hmm. relationship with with God, with my Heavenly Father and uh really kind of um cemented my love of Jesus and and uh 
helped me better because uh, as humans, I don't think we can fully understand what God has done mm-hmm. for us, what Jesus has done for us, but help me better understand yeah. what had happened on the cross uh, for uh, for me um, and how nothing I did, all I did was like filthy rags, um, you know, and that, you know, it's only um, through faith in Jesus that we can be called sons and daughters right. of God, not because of anything I do or right. because of any good works or because of how I live my life, but only because of what Jesus did. And um, so that was a huge moment uh, for me and my and my faith and my walk, and also in that in those uh, uh, in that time taking these online classes through Liberty, I just um, I took a, a class on evangelism mm. that forced you to have to go and share the gospel with someone. And it just like kind of really uh, energized me or mm. or it did something in my heart and it became very important to me. Evangelism became very important to me. And I began to realize like if, if uh, the importance of the gospel in my life, the importance of Christ and the importance of um, what he did for us on Calvary and what it meant for him to die on the cross and then raise three days later and conquer sin and death and to now be in heaven, um, sitting beside our Heavenly Father. Um, to, to understand that, I, I just became motivated to share that with other people. Yeah. And uh, so, so I did. I, I just became a lot more evangelistic, I think, with my faith and uh, always tried to be open a, about it. Uh, people had questions or, or, or to talk about it. And again, I wasn't beating people over the head with the Bible uh, in the halls of the police station, but they, you know, I was, I tried to be honest with people about what I believed and, and why I believed it. I would also say that my faith grew just because I began, and this was like after our kids were born, I began to understand how important like the word, I mean, I always knew the word of God was important, but memorizing it became yeah. very important to me uh, yeah. because that really helped me through some of those darkest years that mm-hmm. we just got done talking about, um, remembering some of those verses, um, you know, that I had learned like Deuteronomy 31, eight, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. Mm-hmm. He will be with you. Um, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Psalm 91, yeah. you know, that starts out. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. Um, uh, John sixteen thirty three was always a big one mm-hmm. for, for both of us too. In, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. And I mean, obviously that tribulation he's talking about is, is probably more geared towards, uh, tribulation that we receive as believers, persecution, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But the last part of that, you know, take courage. I've overcome the world. He really has like Christ has already overcome the sin of this world. We, we, we haven't reaped the benefits of that yet as believers, but he's overcome. He's already the victor. Um, and so verses like that really helped me to manage my, um, you know, hypervigilance at times, the anxiety that that brought at times. Um, and, um, 
and also just to like the that the, those things like my my faith and my um you know reading the word and going to counseling and and all these things having conversations with you really started to show a a major idol in my life and i kind of alluded to it at the beginning of this episode where i i uh i craved the affirmation and um praise of of my peers and of men like above me and mm-hmm. and around me um so so i think in other episodes i've talked about my fear of men and that's mm-hmm. basically what i'm i'm talking about is this idea that i cared so much what other people thought of me right um i cared what my bosses thought of me. I cared what my peers thought of me. I was super competitive on top of that. I liked adrenaline. And so I was unbelievably driven at work, unbelievably driven at work because all those things charged me up. Adrenaline charged me up. Getting, um, getting the accolades of men charged me up. Um, being the best, getting good arrests, that charged me up. Like all that charged me up. And, and like I said at the beginning, like I prayed for that. Like I prayed for that. Mm -hmm. And so what's just so uh, humbling or like amazing to me is that God answered those prayers. He put me in really bad situations. He helped me make uh, really cool arrests. Um, Even though I was praying those prayers to bring glory to myself and not to him. He answered those prayers. And he ultimately answered them to bring glory to himself right. because it completely humbled me. Right. And it, it took me to a place in my career, in my life where I was completely broken. And I was just completely like, it became clear that it wasn't about him. It was about me. Right. And, and it kind of like just stripped me down, like just laid me out. It all, you know, it, I mean, we talked about it. It was yeah. affecting our marriage. It was affecting my mental health it was affecting all these things this drive this competition this wanting um the praise of people and and fearing what people thought of me uh was more important than anything in my life and um and uh and i'm still a driven person and i (laughs) constantly have to be on guard against that type of stuff but the lord answered those prayers Mm. helped me become you know a a a good police officer Um, really good cop and and ultimately used it to weed out an idol in my life and and kind of like just um bring me to a place of worshiping him more and in a better way yeah um so that's kind of like how the faith journey of you know my Mm -hmm. life went through my career yeah i think we would we would both say without a doubt looking back like at any one of those seasons or even instant even individual instances like where and particularly when things were so bad um you know whether for you at work for us you know as a couple individually whatever we like we wouldn't even be sitting here if it wasn't for the grace of god and for him holding us and sustaining our faith um, to, to get us to a point where 
we could could even look back and see what God had done and see how he had been faithful to us and how he had carried us um, to get to a point, like how merciful, where we could look back and say, thank you, God. Like you, you almost can't even do that in the moment. Um, but then then you see, you, you, you come out of it, at least for us, it, it has felt like that. That's kind of how it, how it went. Like you get on the other side or you li- at least get a little beyond the, the crisis and you, you look back and you see Jesus everywhere. And, yeah. and then you can say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto you be glory like, because of your love, because of what you've done for us. Yeah, like, amen. Give glory to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's really so true. Like his faithfulness, he is faithful even when we are not faithful. And uh, yep. and every time, yeah. And and sometimes he will answer our prayers. Yeah, that are prayed for the wrong reasons to show us things. Yeah, and you know it just took took a long time to to weed that out, and many many hardships and and things and um. You know, looking back, I don't, I don't regret anything in my career. I wouldn't change anything about my career. I loved being on the street. I loved patrol. Um, I think some wisdom has come with it where I wish maybe I would have just like, you know, maybe gotten off the street a mm-hmm. little more um, and, and done some different things uh, just to kind of, you know, be a little more okay um but here's the thing there's there's other guys that i know on the job that have been on on the street longer yeah that handle it okay and do do well and are are okay um and uh you know yeah everyone's journey is is unique right everyone has a different to some extent path to walk and i never i never I never thought that I would re- be retired at 20 years. Yeah. Never, ever. Like when I started, I, I was like there. When I started, I was like, I'm definitely going to be on till I'm because at Lancaster City, you could stay on to your 60. Right. You had you had to leave when you were 60. And I was like, I'm definitely going to stay on till I'm yeah. 60. And I felt like that for years and yeah. years and years. Yep. And then um, then all of a sudden there was like a switch and I was like, OK, I'm done at 20. And we were like, okay, how does that? Yeah, that I think look? I was like, excuse me, <laughs> because it it was it was a complete it was a complete switch from how you had always been and talked and yeah considered your your career with the city, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God, God knew knew what He was doing. We were just we were trying to catch up with what the plan was, right? As our son likes to say, what the plan? What the plan? We like to know what the plan is in this family. <laughs> we the, don't always know. Oh, man. Sometimes God shows you. He, well, he always shows us in in his timing. And he definitely wants to know get, what the Yes. Yeah. He he's like, What the plan, mom? What the plan, dad? <laughs> he doesn't say it that way anymore. No, but. but he was probably two in his crib and I would go in to get him in the morning and he'd say, What the plan, mom? What the plan? Yeah. I was like, the plan is you're going to shut up and I'm going to drink my coffee because I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm still trying to wake up, kid. And then and then I'd get out of bed and I'm like, what the plan? What are we doing today? What's going on? What are we getting uh, after? 
So you got like Bring two more coffee. Two dudes in your life that always want to know what the plan is. <laughs> uh, well, this episode has been a little, uh, it's been a little deep. It feels a little. I don't know. I hope people get something out of it. I hope so. A little, little heavy maybe, but hopefully real. I think you're, you're trying to. I try to be, be real. Open. Be, yeah. So, you know, yep. the great thing is I'm not on the job anymore. So That's true. I won't have to listen to anyone make fun of me. Uh, they'll just text you and do it. They'll just, they'll just text you or they'll do it behind your back. And- Probably not. Like I'm not, you know, after the newspaper article with uh, Chief Berkeheiser, everyone kind of is like laying low. <laughs> can't, <laughs> can't, can't get too close to Diakonos uh, cops calling. Can't blame them. No, you can't. You can't. Well, all right. Let's uh, another another question in a different different direction. Here's a here's a would you rather? Would you rather be tased or pepper sprayed? Oh, tased. Really? Yes. You and you were tased. You were tased and twice. pepper sprayed. That's true. Well, you, you were have tased. To, you have to be pepper sprayed and tased. Yes. Uh, on the job or to to carry those items. Right. And I would definitely t- be tased. Because when it's done, it's done. Yeah, getting tased is terrible. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's uh, at the most it's five seconds of unless you're a suspect who just doesn't learn your lesson after five seconds. But most times it's five right. seconds and then it's over. Um, pepper spray. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. I had to go to the ER one time to get my oh, contacts no. out. I forgot because I got that. pepper sprayed on the street during an arrest I accidentally, about that story. And, and I had to go. Um, yeah. I couldn't get my contacts out, so Just, they had to take me to the ER to get my contacts out of my eyes. Because I, and of course, you know, guys making fun of me, you know, because I mean, pepper spray lays me out. I'm like, I, I, I made the decision if if someone ever threatens to pepper spray me, that is a deadly force situation. Because if they pepper spray me, I'm down You're and done. out. That's I'm true. down and out. I can't see. I can't. I can't work through it. I don't know what it is. Like mm-hmm. some people can can work through it. Uh, maybe I'm a pansy. I don't know. Yeah. But well, that here's here's uh here's how we'll know for sure. Did you voluntarily ask them to call your mom that time after being pepper sprayed and taken to the hospital? No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> My mom was not called that time. <laughs> oh, your poor mom. All right. Um, funniest thing you've ever witnessed on the job? Funniest thing I ever witnessed on the job. I mean, the thing that pops into my head is kind of also the most, one of the more embarrassing things I've done on the All job. Right. So two birds with one stone here. Okay. Um, how many of these questions are there here at the end? As many as I want there to be, I'm running the show. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, yeah, I'll kill two birds with one stone then. Um, it wasn't funny for me, but it was very, very funny for uh, the guy, my partner. I'll, I'll give him a shout out. I'm giving a lot of shout outs in this show here. I know. Hopefully, hopefully the people are okay hopefully with no this. Hopefully no one's offended. I, who, what are they... What are they going to do? Who? The people I'm giving shout outs about. Mm, text these are, you. These are, these are officers. They, they can deal with the pressure. <laughs> the four people that are going to hear their names. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so, so uh, now Sergeant Whiteford, mm. um, he, uh, he was with me. 
And uh, what a good guy. He is a good guy. I'm still working on him. I need to get him on the show. Um, That'd be a good one. He's he's been ghosting me though. I know he listens to the episode, so I'm calling him out. I'm calling him out right now. Um. Anyways, stay on um, task here, Weaver. What's that? Stay on task here, Weaver. Okay. Story. Um. So so we uh we uh yeah we're investigating a hit and run accident, and we uh we um. We investigate the accident. We leave the scene of the accident. It's not a major accident. And we see the car. We see the suspect car driving around. And uh, so we stop the car. And uh, there's two two guys in it. And uh, they claim that the brakes in the car don't work. And so I don't believe them because I'm like, we just watched you drive <laughs> around the block and you stopped at stop signs. You stopped right. at traffic lights. And so you, obviously you get lied to a lot. Yeah. So you get lied to all the time. Yeah. So I was like, obviously the brakes are working because right. that was the excuse they gave for having the accident. Gotcha. I, I don't remember what the excuse was for leaving the scene of the accident, but that was, that was the thing. So they had pulled over into like a church parking lot and um, this church had like these stairs on the outside of the building that go down into the basement of the church. And Hmm. um, at the top of these stairs, so that no one would fall into the stairwell, was a brick wall that was probably, I don't know, eight, 10 feet long, maybe? Maybe six feet, I don't know. No, it was probably like eight, 10 feet long. And uh, so people wouldn't be walking and fall into the stairwell. So... um, Nobody had a license, of course. The car wasn't insured. I don't even think it was registered. I mean, it was like a it was like a rolling uh, twenty citation car, you know, one of those deals. And um, so we we had to park the car. And I was like, well, I'm I we can't leave it parked in the middle of the parking lot. I'm going to park it in a spot at this church. And I pulled it into a spot that was facing this wall that protected the steps from. Uh, from people falling into the stairwell. And uh, now, mind you, they told me the brakes didn't work. And mind you, me <laughs> being a very, an officer who didn't believe anything anyone told him. And to my credit, they had driven this car. We had watched right. them drive it. And they right. had stopped there you go. at stop signs and stuff. I was like, there's no way the brakes aren't working in this thing. Well, I pull into the spot and I'm going slow. And it's not like I'm driving like 20 miles per hour through the parking lot. I pull into the spot. And I hit the brakes and the brakes, like there are no brakes in this thing. Zero. The pedal goes to the floor. There's no pressure. I throw it up into, <laughs> into park to try to get it to stop um, in park. And it's like clicking, click, 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 click in park. Never once dawned on me or, or even occurred to me that these guys were using the emergency brake to stop the car <laughs> as they drove around. Right. So I didn't pull the emergency brake. I tried to throw it in the park. Well parked and stopped the car it rolled and it was slow motion it rolled into this brick <laughs> brick wall and it folded like dominoes the <laughs> the entire wall into the stairwell like the whole thing just right into the stairwell we were honest criminals who knew so uh whiteford is supposed to be <laughs> And is tasked with watching these two guys who are sitting on the curb because we need to write them citations, um, possibly uh, 
I don't think any either one of them getting arrested for anything, but a bunch of citations and everything. And um, he sees this happen, and uh, he does not do his job any longer. In fact, I think he fell on the sidewalk. He was laughing so hard, and then starts taking pictures and texting friends and letting them know how I just wrecked a car and folded a entire wall into a stairwell of a church. And uh, I was so angry. I I got out of the car and I slammed the car door and I said, everyone's going to jail. And these guys were like, what? What? We didn't do anything. I was like, I don't care. Everyone's going to jail. And uh, they didn't go to jail. I didn't arrest anyone falsely. Everyone calm down. Um, But I, uh, yeah, so um, I, I, I don't know how that accident got wrote up. I've had a lot of accidents in my career. Um, you, you, you definitely, but I don't know how time for (laughs) many of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got, I got lots of them. Yeah. Um, but somehow this got wrote up and I did not get suspended. I did not get, Hmm. um, it's got like a written something. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't even remember if funny now at the time, not funny. Mm -mm. We couldn't get a hold of anyone at the church to let them know about this you know, we couldn't get a hold of a key holder for the building, yeah. nothing. So the next day, um, the church called, I guess they called 911. Oh, that's sad. I don't, I don't know what happened, but the, but basically the fire department the next day, because we could not notify, right. it was the middle of the night. Yeah. We yeah. couldn't notify anyone about it. The next day, a call was put into emergency services, 911, whatever. And the fire department responded to a, to a building collapse. It came in as a building oh, no. collapse uh, that they they went to <laughs> to find this entire wall folded into the stairwell. So, um, so funny and uh, embarrassing and embarrassing. It's true. So it's true. Yeah. Do you have any other ridiculous questions for me? They're not ridiculous. How dare you, sir? How dare you? I'm never having you on my podcast ever again. <laughs> no, I I got nothing else. Nothing uh, else. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on, Diakonos. Okay. It's clear that you kicked up the dust in your career and in life. Uh, okay. I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm just we- I'm just trying to chant channel Anthony here in my closing statements, but yeah. I'm going to turn it over to you. You're going to turn it over to me? Um, okay. I got nothing. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to get turned over to me. Well, I guess I could just say thanks for listening, folks. We could, uh, we could cue the dip. What? <laughs> what on earth did you just say? Cue the dip. Cue the dip. Remember what we, talked, is that? we talked about this. Um, last oh night. my word! Yes, your Cue latest hashtag. My latest hashtag. That's right. I thought Should you were we... getting like hip and no. youngster on me, and I did not know what was happening. No, not at all. Not at all. Cue the dip. I don't know. I, I probably am going to cut I'm this. Fence with it. I'm probably going to cut this completely out of the end of this episode. But um, I have, I have, I broke it out to some people. It makes everyone smile. <laughs> Because they're laughing at you, or I'm just kidding. Because it's, it's a fun thing to say. Yeah. Cue the dip. Yeah, it's now. It's I think you could use it. Okay, all right. I'll break it down it real quick. It just makes me want Cue, chips. That's that's exactly what another friend of mine said today. It makes him want chips. And I said, <laughs> but 
it's also making you laugh. That's true. Which is a good thing. And if it's and memorable. And you're saying it. Yeah. And it's memorable. There you cue go. the dip. So cue Except the dip. I forgot about it. And you well, told yeah, me but, about it last night. Yeah. I was but tired. But you were really tired. I was super tired. So cue the dip. Kick up the dust in pursuit. There K-U, you go. the dip, dust in pursuit. So cue the dip. I feel like it should be like a a thing I do every episode. Here's it's time for cue the dip, uh-huh. and uh, then we talk about someone who kicked up the dust in Very pursuit simple. of. But it also makes everyone laugh. So maybe it should be cue the dip where I uh, make f- I don't know make fun of someone that did something silly. Uh, call out a politician for uh. trying to defund the police or something. <laughs> All right, today on Cue the Dip, we're going to talk about, you know, like the other week it was Congresswoman mm. Maxine Waters. Not helpful. So tonight we're going to Cue the Dip. Ma'am. Our Cue the Dip winner is whoever. <laughs> and But if they're kicking up the dust. They're kicking up the dust in pursuit of absolute silliness. Oh. So, and Cue the Dip. Dip kind of sounds like, look at this dip. Yeah. Look at this dip head. Okay. (laughs) I got that. I might be on something with that. Cue the dip. And it's like idiotic things that someone's done. Yeah. These are all things to ponder. I don't know. I'm going to put it out there. Okay. uh, Hey, we put it here at the end of the episode. So now I'm going to keep it in. All right. I think I'm going to keep it in. And, and, uh, and, you know, for you out there, like, hit me up, email diakonosacc <laughs> at gmail.com and let me know if you like cue the dip and what a cue the dip should be about. Actually, you know what? You should do it. This is Facebook this poll. is a patron. Ah. With our patron program, uh, we have polls. Yeah. It's going to be my first poll. There you if go. You, if you're second in the tier. second tier, I think yeah, $10 a month. You get to take part in polls. Yep. And so help. that's going to be my first poll. Cue the help dip. Help us with future content. And by us, I mean Anthony, because I'm never coming back again. <laughs> I was about ready to Anthony turn this. insulted me at this last. Uh, well, how did I insult you? I'm kidding. You said my questions were silly, which you wrote. <laughs> Let's be honest. What's crazy is at the very end when, because I knew I'd given you a list of, uh, yeah. questions to ask me at the right. end and you asked me the first one i was like oh crap i didn't think about these at all it's funny um you did great you're you're great thank you i'll definitely have you back yeah well you did great too and so maybe i will turn this maybe i maybe maybe that's what diagnos a, a cops calling need needs just me turning the podcast over to you you host the podcast i'm the co-host you're like super sweet to people and then i just lay the hammer down and like you, you do, yeah, you do all the good stuff. And then I do the cue the dip section where I just, you know, house people. Anyways, this is, this is getting crazy. So, um, all right, we're out. I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit more of my story and some of the experiences I had on the job. Uh, I really appreciate Lauren sitting down and talking to me. Uh, and I tried to be open and vulnerable, a little raw, a little real about uh, some of my struggles and some of the things I I saw and did um, and some of the reasons I I love the job. So listen, if you're in law enforcement and you heard it and uh, you're struggling, 
uh, please reach out to me, diakonasacc at gmail.com. Be more than happy to talk to you. Uh, you can look me up on my Facebook page and, and send me a message there on the Diakonas a Cops Calling Facebook page. Uh, uh, or on Twitter. Uh, DM me on Twitter. So, um, yeah, I hope it uh, I hope it meant something to you. And for those of you who aren't in law enforcement, I hope it just helped you uh, better understand me. Those of you who know me, better un- understand me a little bit. And those that um, don't know me, just understand the calling uh, that many officers have when they go in this profession and uh, how many officers a- approach the job. Hey, check, check uh, Diakonos the Cops Calling out on Facebook. Check uh, me out on Twitter at mtonyw. Check out uh, the brand new patron program. I'll include a link for the patron program uh, in the comments for this episode. And I'd really love for you to, to click on there and, and uh, check out uh, what, what we're trying to do uh, with that. So if you're in law enforcement, kick up the dust in pursuit of the lawbreaker. Don't ever stop doing it.